0: He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Katz Roundtable with John katzimatides Everywhere around the world.
1: Good morning, America. This is the Catch Table John Catchman, he seated here. President's Weekend. We have a great show for you today. We have Senator Blackburn. We have Congressman Ken Buck. Ryan Priebus. What's going on in the Democratic, uh, in the Republican Party? Uh, Dr. Peter Michalos. Mario Konomo. Uh, our nation's uh, economist, Steve Moore. And let's start off with Senator Tom Cotton from the great state of Arkansas. With us today is Senator Tom Cotton from the great state of Arkansas, and he uh, uh, is one smart guy, and he is concerned about some of the things going on in our country and the world. Uh, good morning, uh, Senator Cotton. How are you today?
2: Good morning, John. It's good to be back on with you. You know, you can say that again. I think you and I and all of your listeners are very concerned about what's happening in Joe Biden's America right now.
1: You know, when you wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep, what keeps you up? Uh, What's the number one item?
2: Well, to be literal, it's my 7- and 6-year-old boys that usually wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) But whenever I uh, can't go back to sleep after they wake me up, what's always on my mind, John, is the threat from uh, the Chinese communists. I think it's the greatest threat we face in the world today maybe the worst threat we've ever faced, more so even than Soviet Russia, because China's economy is so much bigger than Russia's ever was, and their economy is so much more entangled to our economy. China, moreover, has started continuing, I should say, a rapid military buildup, um, something that is on par with what we did in the 1980s, and they're getting close to matching our combat power. And this is all happening, unfortunately, at a time when Joe Biden is – tempting Xi Jinping, the Chinese dictator, to do something like go for the jugular in Taiwan. I mean, you saw it again in just the last few days. China sent a spy balloon to America. We had it in our sights over the Aleutians. President Biden let it uh, go, and then it floated all across America. And now they're acting like lawyers for the Chinese communists. They're apologizing for the balloon. They're saying it was blown off course by wind, excusing this provocation. Kamala Harris has said it shouldn't change our relations. I believe Tony Blinken is meeting this weekend with his counterpart from China's, China's foreign ministry. These kinds of, of abject appeasement in the face of Chinese provocation simply make it more dangerous and more likely that China will want to test America's strength and resolve.
1: Uh, I met last week uh, with the Rabbi Schneier in New York. With the, one, of, one of the 99 possible presidents of China and uh, he's in charge of foreign uh, relations, president of uh, Communist Party Foreign Relations, of foundation. I, I really, you know, you, 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 nobody really knows. And uh, uh, he was very concerned that the Congress condemned China for zero. What say you about that?
2: Well, uh, the Congress has actually been much stronger on China than President Biden has been. You know, just this week, both chambers of Congress uh, condemned China uh, in uh, uh, unanimous resolutions for letting this balloon float all across America. So, in, in some cases, it's the Congress that's actually been tougher than President Biden has been.
1: What's your next thing? I mean, the the border, the people are coming through the border. Even Chinese intelligence comes through that border. Because it's the easiest place to to to, to come through, uh, and you're near uh, you're near the border, being in uh, your your state in Arkansas. What say you about that?
2: Yeah, you know, John, uh, the open border we've had, we've had six million illegals across our country in Joe Biden's first two years, and as you say, some of these are Chinese nationals. There are uh, individuals on the terror watch list. Is really kind of the flip side of Joe Biden letting that balloon float all across America. President Biden is unwilling to protect American sovereignty. That shouldn't be surprising because Barack Obama uh, undermined American sovereignty at every turn, and Joe Biden is his understudy. And in some ways, the American left, going back 100 years, has been ambivalent about the very idea of sovereignty or American power or the nation state, preferring to surrender our power and our sovereignty to a kind of globalist government of so-called expert bureaucrats, diplomats, lawyers, journalists, professors, and NGOs. Most Americans believe in a strong, sovereign America, and that's why they're so appalled by the chaos and the threats they see at our southern border.
1: Putin And the Ukraine, give us your understanding of what's going on there. And when do you think it's going to be over?
2: Well, John, there's only one reason why the Ukraine war is happening now. And that's because Vladimir Putin has always wanted to reassemble the Russian empire. He sees himself um, in the historical legacy of Peter the Great or Catherine the Great. And there cannot be a Russian empire without Ukraine. So he's had designs on Ukraine forever. Uh, You know he's twice invaded Ukraine now. I have to point out that both invasions happened under Democratic presidents, not under a Republican president. And the reason for that is is that Vladimir Putin senses the weakness and the ambivalence and the timidity that projected by people like Barack Obama and Joe Biden. If you look at uh, President Biden's first year in office, he consistently appeased. Putin and Russia. Then you had the debacle in Afghanistan. It tempted Vladimir Putin to want to achieve what he's always always done. And then for the last year, President Biden has been pussyfooting around. You know, it's consistently denying Ukraine the weapons they need to fight their own war, not asking us to fight it for them, only to give it to them months later when it's less useful in defending their territory than it would have been. And you see that continued pattern now. They still won't provide the kind of long-range missiles or cluster munitions that Ukraine needs. But I do believe it's in our vital national interest to stop Russia in Ukraine. Otherwise, They'll be on many more NATO countries' borders. They'll be uh, emboldened once they rebuild their combat power to think that America and the West can't stand up to them in the long run. And when we think about confronting that gravest threat we talked about earlier, the Chinese communists, we would see a kind of festering wound in Europe that could expose us to a two-front conflict at any time. Much better to put an end to this threat in Ukraine now so we can focus on China in the long run and to teach the Chinese communists that we will draw a firm line in protecting our national interests.
1: Agreed. Again, agreed. Uh, I mean, uh, Putin is a man without a country because I don't really think that China is supporting him. They're just going along with him and buying oil at a thirty percent discount from him. So talk about China. Do you think they really want war, or you think they're just uh, posturing?
2: Um, Well, like dictators, in many cases, John, I think China wants the spoils of war without the war itself. Um, And we need to focus on denying them those spoils without having to fight the war to begin with. This was Ronald Reagan's main point in confronting the last great communist menace, Soviet Russia, is that through strength and resolution, you don't end up in war, you end up with victory. Um, that's why it's so important that we make clear to China that we will protect our national interests. We will protect friends and allies like South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan at a time that we also work to reduce China's leverage over America through our economic entanglement.
0: Well, uh,
1: we've got a minute left. Uh, it's Sunday morning. Uh, the American people are listening to you. They're drinking their, 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 their coffee. What do you want to tell All America?
2: America still, in my opinion, like Ronald Reagan said, has a rendezvous with destiny, to be the leader of the free world, to provide the greatest opportunities for normal working people that any country has ever done. But that is not necessarily the outcome. That is not inevitably our future. It's the choices that we make, just like the choices of generations before us made, that are gonna determine our future. And we need to make some new choices, to get better leaders and have better policies to continue to be the leader of the free world, the most prosperous and free place that the world has ever known.
1: Thank you so much, Senator Tom Cotton from the great state of Arkansas. And thank you for your opinions and thank you for your discussion this Sunday morning. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, John.
0: listening to the Cats Roundtable.
1: Rita Cosby is joining us to talk to some of our guests.
3: It's Sunday morning, and this is the Cats Roundtable. I'm Rita Cosby with a special interview about a very hot topic, making lots of headlines, dangerous effects of social media, especially on our young people. And joining us now is someone who is leading the fight to protect our children, Senator Marsha Blackburn. She is the senior senator from the great state of Tennessee. And Senator Blackburn, it's so great to
4: have you here. I am delighted to join you, Rita. Thank you so much for having me on. And thanks for putting some attention on what is happening to our children online.
3: You are one of the co-sponsors of the Kids Online Safety Act with Senator Dick Blumenthal, obviously a bipartisan push, which
4: is terrific. Tell us what it does and how important it is. Oh, this is so vitally important to get something on the books. You know, Rita, there are laws in on the books that protect our children in the physical space. We as society have decided that children can and cannot do certain things. We have decided that at age 16, they can get a driver's license. At age 18, they can vote. But what we have found out in the virtual space is that there are not those laws, of course, but not only that, the social media companies are not doing age verification and restricting certain harmful content uh, when it comes to children, and they're allowing children mm. to uh, f- to see videos that deal with self-harm, uh, deal with bulimia, deal with uh depression anxiety there's even on news youtube music to commit suicide by and children are being exposed to this and as you know children cannot unsee or unhear things that are traumatic and because social media is unregulated it is robbing many of our children of their childhood
3: you know also um, i'm thinking about you know drug and sex trafficking pedophiles are also online. You know, it's astounding in the middle of all this, Senator Blackburn, the Seattle Public School District, as you know, filed suit, um, basically saying that teachers can't teach. They feel like social media, and it's just consuming the kids. It's taking them away from wanting to learn and the ability to learn, almost essentially calling it an electronic crack, that it's so addictive. And they found that kids were online uh, one to three hours a day. And you think about just over and over again, the messaging, how detrimental have you found it to young people? And also, how
4: do you break the cycle? How do you crack
3: down on social media?
4: Parents want a toolbox and many kids want a toolbox. I have talked to kids. There was a young lady that was at our hearing this week on this issue, and she was addicted to social media. She was scrolling five to six hours a day and working with her parents she broke that addiction and she now has a nonprofit I think it's called log off but it's helping children to get their lives back and that is very very powerful also There are many school districts and private schools, Christian schools, that no longer allow children to have smartphones at school. They will allow a child to have a flip phone if parents feel like communication is necessary. Children can have a watch so that parents can communicate with them, but they cannot have a smartphone. Parents are doing this because so many schools say, the majority of the the problems they have, behavior problems they have, are things that find their nexus in social media.
3: And, and, you know, this comes, you talked about the girl talking about that really compelling story, Senator Blackburn. There was a new report that I'm sure you saw just a few days ago. This was stunning. The CDC basically said that especially young girls – Three out of five girls suffer from deep depression, a lot of it coming from social media, the bullying. That's 60 percent, and that 30 percent actually seriously considered
4: attempting suicide. Uh, This is having a huge effect, especially on young girls. The mental health of this generation is suffering because of what they're exposed to on social media and because of the way the algorithms pull them in and the way it is feeding to them Uh, videos and information that leads to self-harm, to depression, to anxiety, that puts them in touch with uh, people that are drug traffickers and sex traffickers. We're going to continue to work on this issue to see if we can break this and get something on the books that gives parents what they need to protect their children.
3: Have the tables turned now on social media, at least Finally, it seemed like for the longest time people were afraid to take social media
4: on. Well, social media has fought uh, Senator Blumenthal and I for the last several years with an army of lobbyists trying to stop kids online safety and online consumer privacy and Section 230 reforms because they need more people online. They need more people need access to more data, and if we change the biz, if we change the rules, they have to change their business model. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Where they would be held accountable um, once and for all, and also be responsible. It's tough enough to be a kid these days, and then have to deal with social media. You think about uh, just the times. I you know when I was growing up, we weren't thinking about social media, you know, and now uh, it is so tough on our kids, and especially on our parents.
4: It is very difficult for parents because they're trying to keep up with this. And I had a mom sum it up so very well for me. She said that when, that previous, before COVID, she always had the thought, when she had her children at home, the doors locked, everybody was safe. And during COVID, she realized the enemy was in the house with them because the enemy was being fed to their children, her children through their devices.
3: Wow, it is so tough. Uh, but I'm glad that you are shining a really important light on this for parents, for kids, for everybody. Uh, good luck uh, with this act. It is so, so important. Senator Marshall Blackburn, so great to have you here with us on the Cats Roundtable. Really important topic. Thank you so much. And welcome to the Cats Roundtable. I am Rita Cosby. American values are under attack, and big tech is in the thick of it. And our next guest knows that all too well. He is Congressman Ken Buck, a Republican representing Colorado's fourth congressional district. And he has a great new book out that's making a lot of headlines. It's called Crushed Big Tech's War on Free Speech. Congressman Buck, great to have you here on the show.
2: Thank you, Rita. It's good to be with you.
3: You know you cite a lot of different examples of basically how big tech you know is monopolizing our life. Um, give us some of the examples of how you really feel that they are so overreaching and really pushing a viewpoint in your words of discrimination. I think we've seen so many examples of late, but you really did a deep dive on this.
0: Yeah, so uh, Rita, it's really interesting. they they are uh, uh, platform monopolies. Uh, for example, 94% of all online searches happen on Google. And so when Google changes its algorithm, which it did in June of 2020, it disadvantaged Donald Trump and it advantaged uh, uh, Joe Biden, and nobody knew it. Nobody, nobody goes into an algorithm and tries to figure out uh, what's going on, but uh, it really benefited Joe Biden. And, it, and the, the monopoly control that these uh, four pr- platforms, Amazon, Apple, Facebook and Google have over the flow of information in America is really dangerous. Another example is the Hunter Biden laptop story. The P- New York Post uh, has a great story, um it's based on Hunter Biden's laptop and uh Facebook and Twitter both take down the uh story 2 weeks before the election. Uh in in a in a very close election there were six states that uh, had very close elections. Um, And that could have influenced. I'm not saying it did influence, but it could have influenced the outcome in the election of those six states. As we learn more about the contents of this laptop and the corruption that Hunter Biden was involved in with Joe Biden's knowledge and assistance, uh, it could have very definitely been a, a turning point in that election. These platforms have the ability to uh, use great influence over what we see, and they have used that ability to benefit the left and, and to hurt the right.
3: Congressman Ken Buck, to that point, people are so worried, okay, well, what's going to happen? Because as we saw just in recent days, Nikki Haley has thrown her name in. Now the presidential sort of season, election season, is getting underway as we're feeling. Donald Trump, of course, already in the race. Everyone's wondering about Joe Biden. But how can we ensure that this doesn't happen again, where everybody at least gets all the information and then the American public can decide what they want, who they want to vote for with all the full information? Can we guarantee Guarantee that this won't happen again are they under the microscope so much that they're changing
0: so in in the last congress we passed six bills in the judiciary committee that would have given uh, americans choice we want to see competition it's all right if the new york times criticizes a republican because the wall street journal or the new york post or other publications can, can uh, print the other side of the story. It's all right if, if a cable news channel criticizes a, a Republican because we have uh, more conservative uh, cable news channels also. We don't have um, choice when it comes to these online news sources. And so what we really want is competition. These bills would have given us competition in the marketplace. Nancy Pelosi held them up, and Chuck Schumer held them up, And what we need is to start getting these bills through Congress.
3: Absolutely. Now, is Elon Musk a savior for conservatives, or is it too early to make that kind of a judgment?
0: He's kicking people off of of Twitter. And, And what we want to see is more speech. It, it might be correct, it might be incorrect. it, it might be uh, you know left, it might be right, but we want to see more speech. Um, he has his own reasons for uh, kicking people off, but what he has certainly done is exposed the last administration of The uh, Twitter uh, uh, employees and how biased they were against the right. The long-term analysis or or judgment on Elon Musk is that he is going to be uh, not as critical of the right as uh, his predecessors were.
3: How do you think that Trump will use social media? Just your thoughts on the next election and also the Democrats, too.
0: President Obama was a genius at using uh, uh, big tech and, and these tech platforms, and, and President Trump one-upped him. He, he was clearly, uh, he understood how to use Twitter in particular to uh, keep uh, control of the narrative in uh, the news cycle, and I fully expect that, that he will continue to, to do that. He is provocative in, in, um, and is also Uh, thoughtful in, in ways that really touch the hearts of, of Americans. When he talks about China, when he talks about immigration, he's talking about issues that affect us and he puts it in our everyday lives. So I think that he will be, uh, he will continue to be seen widely on, on these platforms.
3: Yeah, I do, too. And what else do you want people to know about uh, the book, Crushed? Uh, Because it is getting a lot of headlines. What's the message that especially people listening at home can glean from it?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, it's important I talk about uh, the history of of, uh, antitrust law in America in terms that that I think everyone can understand and, and how our founders we're opposed to uh, monopolies and and I sort of go through the the monopolies of the industrial revolution, and then how these monopolies are different in controlling the flow of information as opposed to controlling oil and gas and and commodities and services and And then uh, at the end of the book, I talk about how people can uh, you know deal with these uh, subjects and and the best way is really to do your very best to boycott some of these platforms. And and I give a lot of other uh, good, helpful hints on what people can do to make sure they're not benefiting the platforms that are discriminating against conservatives.
3: Uh, bravo. This is really interesting. Congressman Ken Buck, so great to have you here again. Your book is called Crushed Big Tech's War on Free Speech with such great information. Thanks for being here on the Cats Roundtable. Great to have you here.
0: Thank you very much. It's good to be
5: with you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify
0: to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis.
1: What is today is Ryan Priebus. He served as the White House Chief of Staff under uh, President Donald Trump. And previous to that, six years as Chairman of the Republican National Committee, he made Donald Trump President. Ryan Priebus, welcome to the studio. What have you been doing?
6: First of all, good to be in studio. Good to be with you, John. Always a pleasure, and and hello to all the listeners. You know, just last week, uh, we celebrated the signing of the site agreement uh, for the 2024 Republican National Convention, which is going to take place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it turns out that yours truly is the chairman of that uh, convention for the host committee, which is the city of Milwaukee, So right now I am busy helping not just the RNC, but the city of Milwaukee put on this convention, which means, you know, uh, five Super Bowls in a row in the city of Milwaukee that we put on for hundreds of thousands of people, creating over $200 million in economic revenue to the city of Milwaukee and welcoming people from all over the world to the great state of Wisconsin Uh, in july and that's when the convention is going to be in 2024 where the republican national committee nominates a person for president of the united states
1: well that is wonderful now uh, milwaukee is your home city uh that's where you're from originally wisconsin yeah and uh how much time do you spend in wisconsin versus washington dc you must travel back and forth
6: i do and so i'm in wisconsin about every other week when we get closer to the convention, I'll be in Wisconsin every week. I still have a house in Wisconsin. I'm, for those that don't know, not that you would care to, but I'm from Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is the far southeast corner of Wisconsin. Some people put it in the Milwaukee-Chicago overlap you know, area. So we're about 45 minutes north of Chicago, half an hour south of Milwaukee. But that entire area... Is going to be swamped with people uh, for the convention so um, I'm as in both has places. the, has
1: the uh, Wisconsin forgive me and Milwaukee and Wisconsin had they been leaning Republican or leaning uh, Democratic because I remember you had a a very good governor there too I it was a friend of mine and I haven't seen him in
6: years yeah well Scott Walker and Tommy Thompson were two famous modern-era governors of the state of Wisconsin uh, Scott Walker now is running the Young Americas Foundation, which is really the the Reagan ranch, but he, Scott's doing a lot more than that. He's recruiting college kids and high school kids and training them in conservative values and principles. And so he's traveling the country for that and he loves it. He still lives in Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, you know he's doing well but he'll be a part of the convention, so will Tommy Thompson, you know, they'll all be there and Obviously, it's a huge lift on hotels and fundraising and everything you can imagine.
1: Your vision for the future. The, uh, you know, already uh, uh, President Trump uh, has announced that he's running. Ron DeSantis, I think, is running. Nikki Haley has announced she's running. Uh, when I had Rona McDaniel on uh, last week, she said she thinks it might be as many as 15, 16 people running. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, And she plans, and she plans to have debates starting maybe this summer.
6: Yeah, I, I think that that's right. Um, as you recall, I went through the same thing in 2015. And one of the things that you've got to do, and I know Rana's going to do, is you know you have to really play things straight. You have to be very clear with all the candidates what the rules are, and you get them out early. How do you qualify for a debate? Uh, Is it a combination of polling and fundraising? So in other words, not just are you polling well in Iowa and New Hampshire, but are you raising money from enough people that shows the world that you're actually a real candidate? All of that, as everyone understands, uh, can be a political hot potato. Because, for example, if if we've got 20 people at 2% in Iowa, and then you've got... Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump at 30 and 35 percent then the question is is it fair to have a debate with 20 people when 17 are at 1 and 2 percent and two people at, at 30 and 35 now that you know you're that's that's a pretty you know it might not be a fair example but the kind of debates that Rana now has to try to manage are a bunch of people with a bunch of different opinions like that that are all debating who qualifies how much support do you need to qualify at what point does someone earn a right to stand next to ron DeSantis and donald trump and say i'm on this debate stage for the next two hours is it one percent is it five percent is it eight percent whatever the number is it's got to be fair
1: right and every every american has to feel they're fair and uh... And I, I think we just go forward. And uh, look, uh, WABC has a large megaphone. Uh, and uh, whenever you want, it's available to you to voice your opinion. And Rona McDaniel knows it's available to her to voice her opinion.
6: And we appreciate it.
1: And uh, we're here to get the truth out and whatever it is. And uh, well, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon.
6: Thank you, John.
1: With us this Sunday morning is Dr. Peter Michalos to give us an update on some of the things that concern him about the people of America. Good morning, Dr. Michalos.
7: Good morning, John, and good morning, Round Roundtable audience. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit of a different topic, which is a big topic, but nobody ever talks about the other side of the discussion. Today, we're going to talk about marijuana and uh, the cannabis uh, plant and smoking it and uh, edibles and different ways that people ingest it. Basically, marijuana contains two compounds. One of them is the CBD oil, which basically is used for anxiety, pain, inflammation, and nausea. The other chemical is called THC, and THC is basically the psychoactive part that is able to change uh, the brain in many ways, and uh, it actually when you smoke it, it gets into the brain in 30 seconds. An interesting thing about marijuana, it's called lipophilic, means it dissolves well and fast, and that's why after you are exposed to marijuana, you can have it in your system for up to 80 days, and it's found inside the body inside the uh, fat, which is really. Uh, Fascinating. One of the big problems that uh, is going on right now is that we're we'll putting it in food, gummy bears, uh, candy, chocolates. They're infusing it in olive oil. And uh, sometimes on loan, on people pick up a candy or a gummy bear and they leave it around. And to give you an example of how much of a crisis this is, especially since the legalization in 2017, there were about 300 uh, children admitted to uh, hospitals, according to the National Poison Center. But in 2021, 3,054 children were admitted to the hospital, but 573 were in critical care ICU. Because what happens is that your blood pressure can drop suddenly with the uh, ingestion of these compounds and your heart rate can go up as much as 20 points. And that's why sometimes uh, People uh, who have uh, underlying heart issues can have a heart attack after trying marijuana from the first time because their heart rate can jump 20 to 30 uh, points. So we have to watch out for things that come in the form of these baked goods and folk with and bears, drink lozenges, uh, cooking oils and butters. Those uh, are now readily available, and they're not properly labeled, and a lot of times they're baked or made in people's homes. And you can't control the dose of THC or the psychoactive uh, part. And uh, some people can end up after ingesting these with breathing difficulty, seizures, panic attacks, anxiety, agitation, hallucinations, and uh, and nausea.
1: I've never smoked marijuana uh, in my life. I had too many responsibilities in my life and I didn't want to take a chance of it affecting my performance. And, uh, and it seems like the opening up of America. I mean, w- what the heck is going
7: on? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a national security issue. It affects our red- readiness as a country, as a military. Uh, and also, uh, do you want your surgeon to be uh, smoking marijuana prior to the- doing surgery on you? Do you want your pilot to be smoking marijuana prior to flying a plane? Well, one of the problems now is I know people who tested positive for marijuana who've never touched it in Manhattan because they're on the subway platforms or buses or outdoors and they're getting a whiff here or a whiff there and people are actually testing positive on drug tests. So that's a whole other issue. The other bigger issue that worries me a lot is the Duke University studies where it affects the genes and the epigenetic uh, uh, factors, which basically can damage DNA, but not only damage it, but it, the damage can go on generationally. And these Duke University studies, which anyone can look up, are also, there's a possible link with autism and the changes in genes. So these are some of the things that we worry about, the increased car accidents, the DW high. No way to really test it when you get pulled over properly. And the biggest thing is to protect our children from uh, from this. And everybody thinks, oh, it's great. It's a natural substance. Yeah. Well, as uh, heroin is made, you know, from poppy seeds, that's natural too. But, you know, too much of anything is not a good thing. But again, there is room for people who need, for example, oral All They use it in an oral pill form for cancer patients to increase appetite. So there are roles in cancer care, pain management. Uh, but, you know, we need to just ask more questions. We jump into things as a society, but we don't ask about the long-term side effects on our youth and also on our genes.
1: Doctor, that is really profound, and I think additional studies are concerned. I uh, I worry about our young children being turned into something we don't want to talk about. And, and uh, Doctor, let's keep doing the research. Let's keep telling the American people the truth, and let's pray for America.
7: Absolutely, and thanks for getting the truth out on the other side of the story on the couch roundtable every Sunday morning.
5: Thank you.
1: With us today is one of our leading uh, economists for the country, Steve Moore. And uh, Steve, do you have an understanding of what's going on? Uh, you know, we've had, me and you had a discussion. There's a fight between uh, uh, America wants seventy dollars oil, so so inflation will go away. The Russians, the Saudis want a hundred dollars oil because they need it for themselves. For for whom will the bells toll?
5: good question john great to be with you by the way congrats i just heard about your new book coming out i can't wait to have a big book party it's not
1: out yet steve and it's number one on amazon
5: (laughs) how did that happen that's awesome well john congratulations so uh look um (laughs) you're right you know we i thought that we were going to get an improvement in the inflation numbers uh this week because it appeared that inflation was coming down but that's not what happened we got some really lousy numbers we got uh both the producer price index number, John, and the consumer price index showed a bump up again, and so that was uh, that's I think one of the reasons you had such frazzled um, financial markets this week. And you know, you're right. The, the American people want seventy dollar uh, oil. They want to pay you know two fifty three dollars a gallon for gas, and now we're seeing those prices rise again to, uh, in many areas four dollars a gallon. Um, and one other quick thing, John, look at the new debt numbers that came out for uh, the federal national debt over the next 10 years. They're supposed to be 3 to $4 trillion higher than they thought they would be over the next 10 years. So, we, you know, look, the job market is strong, but there are a lot of other fault lines in this economy right now.
1: Well, I, I believe oil went down today. Uh, and it, it, the last time I was talking to you and I was tell, talking to Maria Bartolomo, Uh, Its uh, oil was at $72. And then uh, what happened is OPEC, uh, Saudi Arabia stirred the pot. Russia says they're cutting 500,000 barrels a day. They stirred the pot. Goldman Sachs said, well, we're going to have $100 oil. I mean, I jokingly said that uh, uh, Saudi Arabia must have paid him a fee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, I mean, I mean uh, but there's a struggle <laughs> because so goes oil, so goes inflation, mm-hmm. so goes interest rates because 20% of our country's economy right. is in the crapper mm-hmm. because of, of real estate. New housing starts are way down. Yep. Uh, new construction starts are way down. And I don't know any
5: Anybody who wants to pay six percent, six percent, or
1: seven percent on a new home loan? Um,
5: you're right. I mean, I was just on Box Business News about fifteen minutes ago talking about that very issue of the of the credit card debt. So what's happening? Just so you guys understand, is that uh, America? You know, we had consumer spending numbers that came out this week where uh, you know retail sales were up three percent, which is a good number. But guess what? To buy all this stuff, people are going further into debt, Rita, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're becoming more and more delinquent on that credit card debt. And, you know, I said this on your show what last week, Rita, that that's the worst way to borrow. You're going to charge a 15 to 20 percent, sometimes 25 percent interest rate on a credit card that you don't pay on time.
3: Right. It just ke- I, it perpetuates the cycle. I'm
5: speaking from, I'm speaking from personal experience.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Steve, go into the crystal ball for us. What do you see? Uh, when are we going to see something happen here, finally?
5: You know, I have to say that this is a hard economy to figure out because I don't, you know, this is a Friday, so I don't don't want to be a W-Doc. We've got a very strong job market right now. I mean, employers are hiring. So, you know, by the way, I am, as we speak, while you guys are in New York, I'm in beautiful Palm Beach where it is 75 degrees and sunny. John just left Florida. Did you
3: cross in the air? You
5: know who
1: a dumb New Yorker is? I was, in yeah. I was, I was in uh, 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 Naples. Naples, Florida for 28 hours and I flew back on a three-day
5: weekend. <laughs> can you believe this? Yeah. Well, the point I was going to make is that, you know, there's no housing shortage here. I mean, there's, there's construction everywhere here. So it kind of depends on where you're at. I think we can still skate beyond the recession. I'd love to see it, but you know, it'd be helpful if we did two things. One John, let's produce more oil and gas and coal here at home. And number two, let's get control of this federal debt because it is a cancer on our economy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If if China... uh, Steve, uh, we're going to go to a break at this. If China is not curbing their uh, environmental projects. They're building 2,000 cold places this year alone. Why should yeah. we do it? China is moving ahead of us at warp speed. Yep. I mean, I, yeah. I
3: cry for America. Yeah, and they're not doing anything with the environment. I mean, it's it's like, not. it is insane. Yeah, but if there's, if there's an economic war with China, we're losing. Yeah, we're losing big time. Uh, Steve Moore, we love having you on, my friend. With us today is
1: Mario to Ponomo a banker from uh, London, uh, Switzerland, New York, and uh, one smart guy, and he gives us a update of what the heck is going on in Europe for what happens in Europe will affect the United States of America. Mario, good morning. How are you on the Sunday morning?
8: Good morning. I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the program today. I thought I would start with uh, one interesting piece uh, that's uh, one interesting piece of news that's come out of Europe, and specifically that the New York Times is actually taking the European Commission to court. Uh, They want to see uh, certain text messages which were exchanged between the European Commission president and the chief executive of Pfizer with respect to the uh, purchase of uh, many billion uh, euros worth of vaccine for COVID. Uh, The European Commission president has thus far not released these text messages. Um, She's claimed that many of them, in fact, have been lost. But the New York Times is pursuing the story, and they're now actually going to go to court to try to get a European court to compel the European Commission to release this information. Uh, A lot of people are a little confused by this story because they believe that if there's nothing to be afraid of, then why aren't these text messages being released, why can't they be released? There was some uh, talk about whether this was her private phone or not, but the reality is the phone, whether it was private or not, was used uh, while she was in the position of European Commission President.
1: Mario, you're absolutely right. When you're a public servant, personal or or public, it's all public.
8: That's correct. So it's going to be interesting to see how the European courts uh, handle this. Another piece of news that came out of Europe, and specifically on Friday, was they had what's called the Munich Security Conference. And many countries there were present, NATO, European countries. Uh, There were delegations sent from China and from uh, many other countries. The one country that was notably absent was Russia, and uh, they also did not invite Iran this time. The discussion focused uh, pretty much around continued support for the Ukraine, Um, and the belief that more weapon systems need to be sent in order to allow the Ukrainians to succeed in their counteroffensive, which is anticipated to begin in the spring, uh, when the Russians, it is anticipated, will be launching their own very large offensive into the Ukraine. I thought that on the back of the Munich Security Conference, it perhaps makes some sense. Uh, We're almost a year into this uh, war, and I thought it might make some sense For us to actually engage in what I call a sober assessment of where these uh, uh, countries, Russia and the European Union, stand, at least from an economic perspective. Uh, And I think it's important to point out, we had heard everybody say that Russia, once it invaded and the sanctions were imposed on it, and it was banned from the SWIFT system, not allowing for payments, um, everybody believed there was going to be at least a double-digit contraction to the Russian economy. In fact, the IMF has just told us that in 2022, the contraction in Russia was 2.2%, which frankly is essentially, if you consider everything that was thrown against Russia economically, is a very small number. Uh, it is anticipated that in uh, uh, the, the Russian GDP in 2023 will be up, in fact, 0.3%, and they're calling for uh, 2.1% in 2024. Uh, that compares to the European uh, Union, where we saw in uh, 2022 growth of 3.5%. In 2023, we have a projected 0.8% increase. And in 2024, one6 Now, I know 2024 is too far away, and even 2023, this year, anything can happen. But if we also look at the inflation numbers, in December, inflation in the European Union stood at 10.4%, and in Russia, it stood at 11.9%. So if you look at these figures with respect to contraction and growth, anticipated growth, and inflation, you can see that Russia, in fact, is not suffering the financial loss that everybody said it was going to suffer. The Europeans, in fact, if you consider all things being equal, that they uh, have access to the SWIFT system or are part of the global system, continue to enjoy free trade, have not essentially outperformed the Russian economy. So clearly the Europeans are doing something wrong and the Russians are doing something right.
1: I always felt we're not getting the right story uh, anywhere. And uh, uh, I- I'm sure there's atrocities on both sides and uh, a lot of problems on both sides. Uh Where do you think the end comes from, Ukraine?
8: Well, I think it's what we've been saying all along, that it needs to end today. But the reality is it's only going to end when people stop cutting the checks. If the NATO countries, the Europeans, and the Americans decide they're no longer going to cut checks, then the war ends. If they keep cutting checks and they keep sending equipment, the war will drag on. Once again, I'm going to repeat, the idea that President Putin is ill with cancer or Parkinson's or all these other sicknesses that we hear he has, is probably just not true. The man is well. We see him on camera. We see him on videos. We see him speaking to other world leaders. He's fine. Uh, the idea that the Russians are running out of supplies and out of stock of ammunition is not true. In fact, quite the contrary, we now know that NATO member countries have actually collectively said they need to increase munitions production because they want to make sure that NATO itself is not in a situation where it runs out because of all the weapon systems and ammunition it's supplying to the ukraine uh... the idea that the russians are running out of men is just false uh, we know that they're preparing roughly two hundred thousand men for the spring offensive i don't think the ukrainians have two hundred thousand men that they can train and prepare for any type of counteroffensive. so the russians will continue i think that the, as long as the u.s. continues to support the ukrainians this war will go on
1: mario konomo thank you for the update and uh... Uh, We'll catch up with you uh, during the week or uh, next Sunday. Thank you so much.
8: Thank you. Enjoy your day.
1: Thank you for listening to the Catch Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.